Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Today's podcast will focus on a decision affecting thousands of women's lives, which at the time of recording just fell a few days ago, that is on the 20th of March 2021. More precisely, the Turkish government announced its withdrawal from the Council of Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence, commonly known as the Istanbul Convention, bearing reference to Turkey as the very first member state to ratify the text 10 years ago, uh, and followed suit by the signature of all EU member states and the ratification by 21 of them. My name is Leticia Tissen, I'm FEBS Gender Equality Policy Advisor, and in today's FEBS Talks podcast, we will try to better understand the causes and consequences on what may have seemed to be to many of us as a sudden and perhaps even slightly unexpected move. To do this, I have the great pleasure and honor to count on the on the expert insight from Asli and Tekin. Welcome to you and thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So Asli, and you're a fervent ecofeminist and a legal and policy advisor and lawyer as a member of the Istanbul Bar Association. You work on EU and international law and policies, including human rights, gender equality, women's rights, social policies, and rights and environment since 2006. Uh, you are the EU representative of the, uh, of the European Women's uh, Lobby Coordination for Turkey, acting board member of the European Women's Lobby, and the EU representative of Women's Coalition Turkey. Uh, you have been working with different civil society organizations, associations, and international organizations in the EU, in the Mediterranean region, Western Balkans, Turkey, and beyond. As one of the European Women's uh, Lobby Digital Experts and Her Net Her Rights Trainers, you've been working on cyber violence with the grassroots organization and women networks. You've also been uh, one of the coordinators of the FREJA Forum, which stands for the Forum of Regional and European Joint Activities on Western Balkans and Turkey, and your co-founder of the Freja Academy Foundations. You're also a member of various international and local associations and networks such as the International Environmental Law Network, the European Social Action Network, and the Constitutional Law Research Association. So I'm sure we're an excellent hand to conduct this discussion and to get a full grasp of the topic of today. So a slogan that has been widely uh, conveyed by the, uh, by the women's rights organization movement following the, the government's decision uh, in Turkey to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention is that the convention is a guarantee for women's and LGBTI plus human rights. The Istanbul Convention therefore saves lives. Uh, that has been one of the main mottos. In fact, the Istanbul Convention is the internationally agreed zero tolerance norm for violence against women and gender-based violence and it is a human rights guarantee. Within the scope of its field, it is the international bank benchmark and gold standards for legislation and policy not only in Europe but worldwide. It is the very first legally binding international instrument on preventing and combating all forms of violence against women and girls at international level. So Alicia, what has led uh, the authorities in place to take such a decision right now? Um, thank you. Thank you very much. What led the authorities? Yes, I mean, this is for the recent, you know, backlash with this um, withdrawal decision. Actually, elections, the idea of elections, the political motivation triggered That's what we think. That's how we read it right now, because the, there has been attacks since summer 
since very long time on women rights issues in general, but specifically on Istanbul Convention. And right now, in, suddenly in the middle of the night, with this decision of the president, we were shocked still because it was so sudden and the way it is, was done was unacceptable because there, there could be no decision without taking into account women's voice and women's opinion about it. So this was a shock, but this was this is how we read it. It is due to a political context. This is due to the impact of COVID-19, how all governments were you know, stuck in their policies without not being able to respond to the needs of the society. So the economic pressure, the political pressure, and not being able to respond to civil society, the space shrinking for civil society, this actually put many governments, including Turkey, into a corner. And now this is a reaction. This is a very out of the cohesion type of a reaction. Rather than counting on the 42 million women in Turkey and their votes to respect them even more, they decided to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention against all those 42 million women who have the potential to vote against them. So this is a political context where male-dominant patriarchal society still prefers you know, to put women's voice unheard and to another corner. So this is a still, from a feminist perspective, is how um, government was led uh, within the within this motivation, actually, that's how we can read it. But women's movement in Turkey, as I have tried to give the glimpse of it since summertime, we have heard the of, um, government officials' response, um, reactions on Istanbul Convention. They started to mention about the withdrawal, and during COVID time, the rest of the world was trying to get over the impact, how to tackle the COVID, how to tackle violence, growing violence. We were also. Together with those obstacles, we were struggling, fighting against the, you know, how we can stop the withdrawal of the Istanbul Convention. So we didn't sleep and we are not sleeping right now. But within this context, we can say far-right conservative groups have managed, they have managed within their small percentage of the potential vote for the government for the upcoming, I don't know when, but soon it feels like it will be soon in the agenda of the government. They have preferred LGBTI rights and women's rights to the agenda of the far-right um, potential voters' uh, demands, because there is this priority still within this patriarchal society, family values. They felt they feel threatened on family values. They always use this argument about the family values, where they want to picture women within the concept of family and within the household with the roles, this gender stereotypical roles that they want to keep, you know, within this traditional expected uh, roles of women. This could be the bigger picture in one sense, but there is, of course, there are more things that we can read into it. So there is the effect of, you know, growing international impact with those EU member states like Poland, you know, Poland in November, they have uh, announced that they are going to withdraw from the, they announced, it wasn't an official announcement, but it was still, you know, uh, made public by certain officials that Poland is considering to withdraw from the convention and they are preparing a family convention. So this also shows not only in Turkey, but behind the scenes, those conservative governments, maybe together with Turkey, maybe together with different, you know, uh, blocks that countries have established, they have they are working in, in the dark 
against Istanbul Convention. And this is this is something that we need to be aware of. This is not only about women's rights, but this is a bigger, if there's the bigger picture is a threat to universal human rights uh, treaties, human rights perspective, human rights framework. So we need to understand when we see an attack on Istanbul Convention, it is not only targeting women's rights only. It is in the bigger family of human rights mechanisms. So here we can perhaps say that uh, what is happening today is uh, is most likely part of a much bigger political context. Completely. That's what I tried to give. And when you start from the understanding of the Turkish motivation with the patriarchal society, with the motivation of elections and so forth, these are the visible, you know, these are the visible and historical reasons. They have always been there. Women have been fighting not only in Turkey, but in, you know, in the globe, It is the structure. But now there is the Istanbul Convention has been because it has so much power. You know, the yeah. within its legislative uh, framework, within the roadmap, it shows how countries should implement within their national legislation to prevent violence against women and girls. And it also not only covers women and girls, but it clearly says all those who are exposed to violence. So it protects men, it protects elderly, it, it protects LGBTI. It is within the bigger perspective. So now there is this, um, all those arguments that different countries, different governments are producing against this progressive feminist ideology, which is there actually. So they are trying to resist that. What would you say can be other uh, related political developments uh, that can that can be said to have enabled uh, the current situation? I'm namely thinking of uh, of the state of emergency uh, that has been declared, the, the adultery law that was on the table a few years ago and that eventually was abandoned by Turkey under the pressure of the European Union. But uh, How can this be linked uh, to to all these uh, developments? Of course, uh, they are all related to each other. Because um, when I was giving the bigger picture, I, it was from the recent, you know, from the last minute <laughs> withdrawal decision perspective. But when, as you said, the real the reality behind this. Uh, with this the damage caused by the state of emergency, the coup d'etat attempt, you know, there was a big damage on fundamental rights, on the civil society, on, on the, you know, um, the space that civil society has to, ex to execute their, you know, voice, to, to be a voice of what they symbolize. It is it's shrinked, not only in Turkey, actually. Actually, too, but in the worldwide, there is a big shrinking space for civil society. That's the, that's the fact. But also in Turkey, with this coup d'état attempt, with the state of emergency for two years, it really has a big impact on how human rights are executed and how freedoms of assembly, freedoms of expression were affected. From the real, when you look at it, it is not only, that's why I was saying it's a women's rights issue, what we are talking about on the Istanbul Convention, the withdrawal the decision, decision on the Istanbul Convention, but it has a big human rights context. So we always say it, violence against women or the women's rights agenda is a political issue. As long as we stick to the gender mainstreaming and gender budgeting, when we really talk about policy changes, then we have the chance to change the system in the bigger context, in the political context. But, you know, if we have more uh, leader, male leadership, more patriarchal structures within the uh, governmental policies, strategies set as within the Turkish context from the Gezi Parks, you know, Gezi Park protests to state emergency, we have led this country into a corner where human rights are 
abandoned. We need to understand how everything is, you know, interlinked and how without having a woman's leadership, you know, how without having women's issues very well analyzed and see these are all in the corner of human rights battle too. So I was just nodding and actually thinking that eventually what you say is, is very much confirming the the feminist uh, slogan that the private is political. And in that sense, perhaps I would like to, to ask you, uh, what is the general situation of, uh, of women when it comes to violence against uh, women in Turkey? What would, what would it mean for them should uh, this withdrawal decision uh, become effective? Before that, I just wanted to mention, if I may, here, um, there were like a couple of attempts during this COVID period when I, I was actually linking that uh, in my mind. During the COVID confinement process, Istanbul Convention was a priority issue that we tackled, but also it didn't stop there. There was a risk, there was a bill amended on the law on the execution of sentences. The scope of the legislation was too far from protecting public health, but putting actually the lives of women and children at risk. And there was another uh, possibility of a draft amendment on the amnesty for perpetrators of sexual abuse of children and to the child marriage. So we stopped that. But it's the amendment proposed that's coming after a year, after every couple of years, that amendment is proposed. So it is always in the agenda. It, it's, it is there. We know that. And also there is, there is always the alimony. Uh, there is a discussion behind the alimony, right to alimony. So they are also threatening that right. So this this is a this, um, big package that they don't give up their fight on the women's rights issue. So the other question you ask, can you repeat again? I just wanted to mention this privately. Yes, uh, I was I was asking uh, what is actually the situation of women and women's rights in Turkey, uh, and what do, what would it mean for them should uh, the decision to withdraw uh, become effective? This is what we are trying to uh, stress in one way or other. Even when the Istanbul Convention, the Istanbul Convention was and is, we still don't give up on it, and we are going to continue our struggle to prove that Istanbul Convention is still in its place and it should be implemented. So, Istanbul Convention, we know that it had a very positive impact on how the legislation was in its place. And there was, we are also in the European Women's Lobby and there we were supposed to launch a report and we are still going to launch the support in May on the positive impact of Istanbul Convention. So we see uh, in this report, actually um, out of um, 23 countries who have signed and ratified, only in 22 of them, there is 96% of positive change improvement and we were actually you know we supported this report by providing information from the turkish practice what has happened in turkey regarding the legislative developments regarding the how policy policies were tried to be implemented and of course uh, with the withdrawal from the istanbul convention there is there were already things were not going very well because there are things you can put on legislation. We always said that legislation in Turkey is good. It should be improved. There is always space for improvement and there should be many things changed. We always continue to say that too. But still within the existing scope, if the mentalities would change, then we have more potential to actually fight against women's rights, violations against women's rights issues, violations on the grounds of violence, violations on the grounds of discrimination and so forth. So right now, 
having Istanbul Convention leaving the picture, it is a big threat as most of the legislation was supposed to implement what Istanbul Convention was saying. Now we are wondering what is next? Are they going to target the other legislation, the national legislation which passed through Istanbul Convention, the famous 6284? Or are they? Is it not only Istanbul Convention, but are they actually going to target CEDAW? Is it what is next? Is it going to be European uh, Convention on Human Rights? Uh, we need to really understand. So maybe I can give a small example. When this uh, president's decision on the withdrawal of Istanbul Convention was publicly known, heard, we heard that our lawyer colleagues started to receive calls from criminals in the prison. Now, I mean, because the, the perception of Istanbul Convention started to be heard and started to be understood very well, I think, that the criminals were taught that once the Istanbul Convention will be withdrawn, then that when the Turkey withdraws from the Istanbul Convention, then we can, then I will have, um, then I can be out of the prison? Is this an option? That was the question that some lawyers started to receive. Can you imagine the scope of this? So this gives actually in certain people's minds or perpetrators' minds that they would be able to practice violence on women. So this is this is a I mean this is a I think big impact and we cannot really underestimate the power of Istanbul Convention. Since summer we were trying to create awareness. So all women's organizations on the ground tried to launch you know campaigns on social media through the means they have to create awareness on Istanbul Convention that how it is useful actually to prevent violence and to protect uh, women and girls and all from all forms of violence. So there was a there was a real, very good and there is still a very good momentum where it can build on what Istanbul Convention has provided and we, how we can uh, continue to build on it without giving up on any of the rights that are protected in the scope of the Convention. You, you've very much uh, highlighted what is the undeniable positive impact of the of the Istanbul Convention on uh, domestic legislation. Uh, and women's rights organizations have mobilized uh, thousands of women in the streets uh, in Turkey in a brave act of protest, uh, and many more have done so around the globe as well as on social media. Uh, so how would you say that this decision has been received on the one hand by the general public, and on the other hand, by the political opposition. As you have rightfully put, women's movement um, in Turkey uh, is very strong. And as we, as I try to highlight, I mean, we have been working on different issues, different attacks on women's rights in Turkey and in globe. Um, I should say, um, as soon as the decision was heard, since then we don't sleep. We try to create awareness. Women are on the street. Women are on social media. Women are on TV. If the if there are not too many men, <laughs> you know, there is always space for men to speak on women's rights issues more than uh, women. Unfortunate fact, not only in Turkey, of course, but also during this process. So gender, I mean, general public has reacted immediately too because for us it is a clear violation of. You know, I can explain it in a different, um, maybe, format later on during our 
chat, but uh, it was seen as a form of violation. It was a direct violation for our constitutional rights. So bar associations, civil society organizations, they have uh, reacted immediately. Of course, women's rights organizations as well, taking this to the court, the, the Council of State, which is the highest um, court for administrative procedures in, in Turkey. So we are trying to Uh, change this decision. We are trying to reverse this decision because it was not according to the Turkish, I mean, Turkish constitution. So there was a direct uh, reaction uh, from public, uh, from women's organizations, of course. There is also the political opposition. They have they have uh, reacted immediately. But of course, you see in different political parties, uh, the women's um, agenda, feminist agenda, has been implemented either in their strategy in a visible way uh, and where they actually implement. So there, there are a few of that type of opposition opposition political parties, that's the fact. So it is, they, they all of them have reacted and all of them, I think most of them, I should say, most of them have appealed to the court as well, to the Council of State. So there, there will be more coming. I, we know that many organizations are preparing their files as well to issue before. So there is a big ownership of the Istanbul Convention. That's a fact. There is also the international aspect of the support. So there are many organizations, civil society organizations. We call it global women's strike now. So because this decision actually I don't know if it was on purpose, but I see it as a on-purpose statement issuing this decision on the evening of 19th March during the CSW 65, during the month of the you know International Women's Day, already is a statement in itself. So all the women's organizations from, from the globe who were meeting even during the you know COVID circumstances, we have our meetings online, and everyone was aware of the decision, and everybody who are feminists and who are feminist organizations are supporting our cause. They are supporting Istanbul Convention. I mean, this is a butterfly effect, I would call it, because it is getting out of, this could be the only positive thing coming out of this, with this butterfly effect. There is a global woman strike, we call it right now. Uh, because to be able to protect the Istanbul Convention, we could have never imagined such a big support from, you know, from the globe, from institutions, from women's rights organizations, from human rights organizations on this scope for the Istanbul Convention. Indeed, it was quite uh, quite ironic that this happened uh, precisely in the month of March, and as you as you rightly mentioned, uh, the topic uh, could not be uh, could not be avoided during the UNCSW, and we even had uh, UN Women itself uh, calling uh, on the Turkish government uh, to withdraw uh, its uh, its decision. Uh, there's been several calls uh, from uh, EU officials, the Council of Europe, uh, Joseph Borrell himself uh, made an official statement. So what sort of impact do you think that this global outcry can have uh, against uh, against this decision? And also, what sort of pressure can or should the European Union exert on Turkey, in your opinion? I think it is. it should, first of all, open a dialogue, at least. And it should be visible, you know, within the EU and Council of Europe, this UN and all those mechanisms should be able to talk about this first of all in themselves on the, how important Istanbul Convention is so we have to be honest within these institutions how far all the, the founding rights founding values of these institutions are actually threatened 
by withdrawal from the Istanbul Convention. So it is, as you have mentioned, there has been so many statements from all those institutions who are Turkey is either trying to be a member of, like the EU, or as an accession country, or like that it is already a member, the Council of Europe and also UN. They have all shared their statements. I mean, we as women organizations, we also shared our statement urging all EU members of the Council of Europe and state parties of the Istanbul Convention to stop Turkey. Uh, from withdrawing from the Istanbul Convention by putting all necessary legal and political measures into force. Because for us, Turkey refuses to be accountable to its international commitments and openly joins those countries that we have been talking about that refuse to comply by international human rights norms like like Russia, like Poland, like Hungary. They openly say they, they are against the Istanbul Convention. So this is very dangerous and worrisome in all senses, and it can have an extended consequences, not only for Turkey, for all the members of these institutions, EU members and Council of Europe. So that's why I think um, the political agenda, existing roadmap with relations with Turkey should definitely continue. And we should continue supporting EU's, I underline this, EU's membership to Turkey's, I'm sorry, Turkey's membership to European Union is, should be a priority in our agenda, because this is a women's rights issue too. For the developments, for the reforms we expect Turkey to do, they should be obliged to do it within the framework of the relations set with the European Union and the Council of Europe. The relations has been frozen for a long while. We are aware of it. Let's not be ignorant to it, of course. But with the refugee crisis, with the ongoing economic crisis, with the COVID, with the health crisis, there are so many things to be discussed behind the doors. We are aware of it. But since human rights values, human rights criteria of the European Union is not as visible as it should have been, then we see this reluctance, this attacks to women's rights, to human rights in the bigger picture in the relations with the European Union. I think human rights issues should be at the top of all relations so that reforms are promoted in Turkey, so that we see the responsibility is taken in all sides. And then, of course, there are there are different dynamics. We are aware of it on the economics and the, and the migration agenda, but you can never bargain upon human rights or fundamental rights and freedoms. So I think it is very, it's a very, um, we are all tested on how our institutions are responding on the protection of Istanbul Convention, not only as a woman's human rights from that perspective, but within the family of um, international human rights mechanisms, conventions, So we need to see this united perspective. And I think Turkey should be able to consider how to reverse this decision. And there is a way there because this we see it as a, this is a violation. This decision itself, the way it uh, initiated and issued, it was against the constitution of Turkey. We see it that way. And I'm sure there is a room there to reverse this decision for the sake of all our societies, and I think it will it will create even more understanding on the Istanbul Convention if we can manage all together uh, to change the way things are going. I should have actually shared this information with you today. Apparently, in the Poland uh, Parliament, 
they're also discussing uh, to pass a legislation that would um, enable the withdrawal of Poland from the from the Istanbul Convention. So this is what we were afraid of, what we can call again a butterfly effect. It is. It's. It's also. It's a chicken and egg thing. You know. Is it was it Poland or was it was that those countries who have triggered for Turkey for the withdrawal or is it Turkey who has just withdrawn and then Poland? I mean, they are all. You know. I think they are much more in good collaboration. Those countries who have certain um, ideologies against um, Istanbul Convention and family issues. You know, within their own uh, agenda because Poland is also defending the convention. Uh, for a family. So this is this is going to show us actually how European Union, how Council of Europe, how all those existing mechanisms are actually working to save those gold standards we have already set and we have already worked to achieve for, not only for Turkey, but for all those countries that are um, you know, targeting Istanbul Convention. Mm. But what you're saying here very much goes back to, to the fact that uh, it's so much more than just a women's rights issue uh, and that there are dangerous uh, spillover, spillover effects, uh, not just for Turkey, but also the, the European Union itself with the uh, uh, other worrisome uh, developments uh, elsewhere. To finish on a positive note, uh, I would like to, uh, to ask you a last question. Uh, and so in the midst of all these worrisome developments, what makes you the most hopeful? If I may, I would like to actually add a point which was very important when we were speaking about the bigger picture. It is about the LGBTI+. Plus. I, I mean, we always see this in the bigger picture together with the LGBTI and women's rights movement. So it is an attack if you talk about Istanbul Convention. It is an attack to all of us. But right now, uh, with government's direct attack on LGBTI community, LGBTI plus community, there are more rights at stake. Let's put it that way. There is a big um, debate on the family values. This creating disinform this creates a disinformation, creating false information on the convention, and targeting directly uh, LGBTI plus communities is an excuse for their withdrawal of the convention. But we know that this is this creates only more hate speech and gender and sexual oriented um, discrimination even more. So we are in this together with women's rights organizations and LGBTI plus organizations. But with the shrinking space in the society, they are not able to even defend their stance. They are afraid. Everybody is afraid. And certain, at a certain point, within the, all this given political context that we have talked about, it is not very easy to defend uh, your position, your rights, when you are targeted. And coming to finish our discussion with a positive note, I raised it um, during our um, chat a couple of times, actually. But I can say we, got, we get our power from the richness of women's movement, from Turkey, from all around the globe. So we are united. And within this um, dynamics I mentioned, like this, we call it now global women's strike. We are even more united and we will continue with nonstop uh, safeguarding, you know, on the Istanbul Convention. We will resist. And this, we should admit, there is a big rise and resilience of transnational women's movement. It is now an irreversible fact. That's clear. Even though 
the spaces are shrinking. Even though COVID exists and we are stuck in the house. Yes, we can, some in some countries, it is so difficult to go and protest. There are so many restrictions. There are so many health-related uh, obstacles, let's say, um, measurements that we need to follow. But women are there, women are outside. They are, make, they are being a voice for all of us, not only for women, but women are voice for the whole society. Thank you very much. Uh, and so this brings us to the end of this podcast, which I'm sure we will all leave with a better grasp uh, of the importance of the Istanbul Convention as a fundamental benchmark for the elimination of gender-based violence uh, and its implication for so many women. Uh, once more demonstrating uh, Simone de Beauvoir uh, saying that uh, you only need one crisis to put women's rights uh, at risk. Uh, and that is very much uh, what we've been seeing here. Uh, so therefore, it is any state's duty to ensure that women can live a life free from violence. Let me very warmly thank you. Uh, I, I, Let me very warmly thank you, uh, Asli, and for your precious contributions to this podcast and for the crucial work that you carry on, carry on in the name uh, of women's rights. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. We are always here and we are looking forward to further cooperation. Thank you. It's, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>